Welcome to Pagan Gumbo. This is an ongoing discussion of the philosophical and practical uh, perspectives on nature-based spirituality. We're going to explore both the ancient and modern perspectives and how we conceptualize our place in the universe and the universe itself. And this is a discussion that's more about the questions than any answers. It's an examination that takes place as a result of the dialogue. And as always, your mileage may vary, and it's always a way to look at things and not the way to look at things. Our intent is to mix discussions and interviews to offer up a new serving about every other week. If you have any questions or desired topics, send them to questions at pagangumbo.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and that's about it. Everywhere there's social media. Everywhere there is social media to be found. This is a 3P production in partnership with Hole in the Wall Studios. Hey there, this is Forrest coming to you from North Hollywood, California, and I am at the beautiful Green Man store. I'm speaking today with the lovely Griffin Said. Ked. Oh, I see I learned something. It's Ked, C-E-D. Mm-hmm. Yes. Griffin, thank you so much for talking with me. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, so we were already kind of rolling into a conversation about what's what's going on in, in the magical community right now. What what do you see from your perspective? Well, my perspective is it has its own bias because managing the store, which has its roots uh, primarily in traditional witchcraft, draws a particular kind of community around us. Um, so I can only give uh, the perspective of of one element within the community, uh, but. From that perspective, what I've got a sense of is that over the recent years, uh, people have moved a little bit away from what was during the 80s and 90s, the uh, the neo-pagan movement that had more of a uh, Wiccan foundation, mm-hmm. and is moving a little bit further towards, um, back towards the occult, towards the mysteries, mm-hmm. back towards um, more serious magical practices, back towards a search for for meaning in life and how they can provoke evolution within themselves. Generally, the students that are coming today, young people, are um, are very engaged, not in becoming part of a, of a divine feminine movement, but rather engaged in how can I how can I open the door to uh, greater mysteries in the universe for myself. Cool. So it's a little bit more of that sort of return to the old magical interests rather than than a sort of um, a, a political position. Interesting. Um, so generally, that's kind of been my observance. It's like years ago, you could really sort of have a, a large group gathering around uh, mythic um, ideas of of how it used to be in the olden times, and people would love to dress up in in robes and costuming, and and they would like totally get into the into the whole sort of SCA meets Wicca kind of pagan expression, and then and it would be it would be it would be a lot of fun. If I put on an event today that requires any kind of costuming, I'm going to have no one turn up. Really? It's, people do not want to dress up. They don't want to get into the fantasy. They're not looking for the escapism. They're not looking for connecting with that romantic idea of the past. They're looking for 
what, where's the pulse of the future and, and how can we reinvent this world and, and open fresh doors into the future? That's what I'm getting the sense of from them. Wow. Okay, that's, that's an incredible observation. So you're, and you mentioned the younger people who are coming to mm-hmm. magical practice. More in, in particular, the younger people. So, I mean, there's still some of the, what I would call the old timers who, who, who bring a little of the memory of how things used to be. And, but even some of them have sort of come as far as they can down that path and were looking for something that had more meaning. And I've had people say this to me of the older set who said, you know, I've gone to all these things, I've explored all these avenues, and I got to a point where I wanted something that had more meaning um, and, and looking for something completely different. And the younger people, they, they just really are looking for, for more the grimoires. They're looking for the information of the experience of the past, but they're looking for how they can um, claim it for themselves, not just to repeat it or to perform it, but rather how can they take this foundation and venture forward finding out and owning things for themselves. So it's a very different mindset and approach, which I'm personally I'm kind of interested in, and I find that I'm that I that I'm having a great time engaging in it with them because this has always been my interest. I I come from more occultist background, and uh, my interest in traditional witchcraft has always been more with that bent. So this is really sort of perfect for me. I'm looking at the community around the world, and I'm finding that there's been a division between what is called traditional witchcraft and Wicca in recent years, and and then the two have been throwing, you know, insults at each other because a lot of the Wiccans um, publications really got into fantasy escapism mm. and, and and not very well researched material, mm, yeah. and and it's gotten a it's got a kickback. I mean, a lot of people have said, well, no, that's that's fantasy that's not real. And we want to have a more academically respected, you know, um, interpretation of this legacy that we're working with. And um, I think that uh, the pendulum has swung a little bit too far to the academic, oh. where the where the publications of the academic uh, world now seem to um, be commanding the, the the respect. But the practitioner who dares to actually engage with their site. And their and their abilities, directly in Gnostic communion with spirit, is not getting as much validity and not as much attention. People are looking for safe ground of the academic respect, mm. and and they they're so been burned by the fantasy mm-hmm. that they're not quite sure how to navigate something that isn't um, validated in through the academia. They're looking if they're going to engage in their sight, they're going to engage in their in their psychic ability and have the experience of spirit. They're like, well, how is that different from fantasy? Because they don't, they, there's not enough people teaching right now how to discern illusion or delusion from a true experience of spirit through the what was known once as the old gifts. Right. And so the, the, there is a little bit of a problem with that, and, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to address that. Mm-hmm. The other problem that I'm seeing, which I'm trying to also address in the community work that I'm doing. And I'm pushing this everywhere I get the chance. For me, this is my big agenda, is the world in which we're moving into has become so invested in the individual identity Mm. that everybody's looking to their individual rights, they're looking to how everybody else needs to respect them. We have the whole PC movement of, of, of validating everybody's identity as they define themselves. We're each one of us so invested in who I am as an individual, in my sentiency, in my individual rights, 
But what we're losing, and I think it's a very huge issue for the craft, what we're losing is our tribal identity. Mm. We're losing our family identity. We're losing our connection to our ancestral identity, mm. to our spirits. So I keep pushing to everybody that the only way we have a future is together. And that we need to identify ourselves, yes, as an individual, but just as importantly, that my salvation lies in the fellowship of my tribe. Fellowship is such such a powerful word in in that discussion of of connection and of awareness of other people and and the the crucial nature of those relationships, even when they're distant relationships. Yeah. yeah. So, with that in mind, I mean the, the 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 issue of uniting my individual rights and my and my liberty as an individual with the identity as a member of, of a tribe bound in fellowship through time. Um, what is terribly important is to lighten up, not take <laughs> ourselves so damn seriously, <laughs> and to evolve a truer sense of tolerance rather than keep being the, a, a police agent, trying to police each other's behavior. Let us embrace the, a truer concept of tolerance mm. and just lighten the hell up. Yeah, I think that's... It, it, you also, um, it, speaking of tolerance participated very recently, yesterday, mm. in a, a panel of religious and spiritual and philosophical leaders from, indeed, around the world. It was an mm-hmm. international panel, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. It was in Ventura, California, and many of the people were actually representing local religious paths uh, and churches, temples, in and around Ventura. But there was a fellow, though, who was an imam of the... Muslim faith? Muslim, from the Muslim faith. Um, uh, representing Islam, he had actually come in from the United Kingdom. No kidding. Yeah, I, I actually I, I teased him because he says he came from Manchester, but he sounded like an Arab. He really did. He said he was born and bred in Britain. It's total phony accent. There, <laughs> he was really. I liked him a lot. He was a very interesting fellow. He spoke about how the how the the word Islam basically meant peace, mm-hmm. and that it was the responsibility of Muslims. To, to express peace, to maintain peace, to, to make sure that peace ruled in the world, that, that peace was at the foundation of, of the whole movement of, of, of the Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important that he, that he steps up and, and presents this mm-hmm. because there are radical fundamentalist groups among the Muslims who are victimizing the Muslim nation before they even start on the rest of us. Mm. Um, and so he has to step up and present the Muslim faith as no. The, the ISIS and the terrorists and the fundamentalists, they do not represent the Muslim faith. There are many of us who don't get as much notice who, um, who represent something completely opposite. And, and we are being victimized by these same fundamentalists because we represent the true meaning of Islam. Mm. And I spoke to him afterwards and said, it's very sad that you have to go out of your way to do that, but I'm glad that you do. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm here in the interfaith panel representing witchcraft because most people think we're freaks and, and wackadoodles. And to have somebody who can actually express witchcraft as a legitimate spiritual path is something I think is very important <laughs> for us to step up and do. Yes, so, much. so much like him, I was there primarily because I think it's important that the general public understand that there's a, that there's a legiti- legitimacy to, to our ways, to our path. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's really admirable that you and he and all of the, the participants were there 
um, to bring attention to the various paths, the various ways of reaching spirituality or reaching for spirituality more. more. And so I thank you for, for doing that. No, you're welcome. For representing I mean, all of us. It was a lot of fun. I mean, the panel was, was, was interesting, but before the panel, I actually did an hour uh, presentation on, on witchcraft to, uh, to the, as part of the diversity culture event. And there was like a room packed full of people, um, all young people, who were studying anthropology and stuff in the colleges. And, and so I did a presentation, and they, they, they said, you know, do like 20, 20 minutes, 30 minutes talk, and then maybe 10 minutes Q&A. I got 10 minutes into my talk, and the hands started going up, and was, you know, I, I can't believe how engaged I was. There was like four or five hands at a time going up all the time, so engaged with intelligent questions. It was, it was really a delight, actually, talking to this room of people that were just, like, fascinated and totally on board and totally engaging what in what was being presented to them. That is fantastic. And you said they were anthropology majors? Yeah, they were working on anthropology, looking at um, um, religion and anthropology from around the world, different uh, magical types of traditions. That and things. is so beautiful. So they, they, they were kind of pre-disposed pre, um, to the kind of material that I was presenting. Yeah. But still, it's like the, 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 these weren't people that were just trying to you know, pick up a, a paper. They, they mm-hmm. were really fervently engaged in the, in the information, asking really interesting and intelligent questions. What would you say was the fun. most interesting and intelligent question you got yesterday? Oh, that would be hard to say. <laughs> that would be hard to say. I mean, they were asking things like, you know, what is, what is a witch's relationship to fate and predestination and, and magic? And um, you know, how, what is the relationship with the ancestral past? And I mean, they were asked these kinds of questions. It's like, these were not simple questions. Mm-hmm. It uh, sounds like they probably took the time to do a little bit of research. But like yeah. you said, from, if you're looking at things through the anthropological lens, mm-hmm. as I say, as a former anthro major myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there is a receptivity that's probably greater than would be present in another audience. So yeah. that's very cool. I mean, I like to think that um, you know, some of the questions were coming because the, uh, the level of, 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 uh, of presumption that I had in what I presented that I, w- I, I, didn't, I didn't pull my punches. When mm. I was presenting, I was talking about some pretty meaty subjects in the presentation. Mm. And, uh, and so in response, I got some pretty meaty questions back. So, it, so the, it, we, had a, we had engaged in a very sort of intelligent debate, which was wonderful. That's fabulous. Yeah. Now, switching subjects a little bit, um, you created an entire tarot deck. Yes. And I would love to hear a little bit, because I know that's a, an enormous undertaking, um, but I'd yeah. like to hear some of, some of the, the real gems of that experience for you. Yeah, I did a 14-week 14, 14 series covering the basics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of material. There's a lot of material. <laughs> um, the thing that's about the deck that's different is that I, um, I based it on traditional witchcraft initiate material so that the deck is deliberately designed not just to you know, represent um, the tarot legacy, but with a bent towards traditional witchcraft, uh, initiate mysteries, so it's very challenging. Mm-hmm. It is built with um, a compass construct as a foundation, so it's not built on the Kabbalistic tree. Ah. It's built on a compass association. Basically, the major arcana is aligned with the directions of the ley lines of power on earth mm. and deal with the soul uh, potency and, the, and, and basically the powers of the soul. 
um, represented in, in, in the land and in us. And this is the major arcana. And the minor arcana is aligned with the deacons of the astrological houses in heaven. So therefore the spirit, or the bones of heaven, is represented through the minor arcana, and the response to spirit, which is the life force of earth, is represented through the major arcana. The aces are the linchpins, the monads, which are communicating between heaven and earth. Oh. And the court cards are aligned to basically the, uh, the cycle of the moon. Wow. And so they bring the forces of the tides into play. Mm. Because um, one of the ways in which I work with the tradition that I work with is that, the, um, that everything is aligned to direction because I'm a compass-based system. Mm. But that the tides of the moon, as it cycles through the year, brings the influence to the different uh, stations mm -hmm. as to how we can interact. What is going on with us? How, how is the tides affecting us? What is happening with, with our energy? And how then should we approach? Mm -hmm. For example, um, if Beltane is on a certain day, then if the moon is at the full, then we're going to approach Beltane in one way. But if the moon is dark moon, then we approach Beltane differently. Interesting. What would be the differences between a full moon Beltane and a dark moon Beltane, for example? Well, the dark moon's aligned with the blood, of course, the menstrual cycle, so therefore it deals with death and rebirth, so it is at the beginning and the end of the moon cycle. And it's like a crossroads working, dealing with a dark queen, very unsensual, unestatic, very reflective, very creational on, on a deep internal manner. Whereas a full moon is when copulation happens, it's when everyone gets into lunacy and you either want to, you know, procreate or fight and go crazy. Mm. And so you enhance that energy of ecstatic working and you put that into the Beltane work. That's truly revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> that is a beautiful concept and, and a great lens through which to see what I think a lot of us would think of as one tradition, one way. And even though there are various um, disciplines within paganism and within pantheistic approaches, when we think of, of Beltane, we, we think of very specific traditions. And, yeah. and to put um, the lunar context around that is really fascinating. Well, if you think about all of our Sabbaths, this is where I kind of like a traditional craft have veered away from from the whole idea of, of it being a battle between sun and moon rather than it being a marriage of sun and moon. The, the, the Sabbaths that we celebrate are either celestial solar events, the equinoxes and the, and the solstices, mm -hmm. or they're land events. And the land events are based on the seasons. Mm -hmm. The seasonal shift happens because of the shift in the light of the sun mm -hmm. going through the year. So whether you're working with with the, with the quarter days, the, the celestial events, or whether you're working with the land festivals, they all basically are acts associated in direct relationship to the light of the sun shifting. The only thing that the moon is, it relates to is really how we are going to approach that. Because we, like all other creatures, have a tide that is in harmony with the cycles of the moon. So we, as creatures of the moon, then relate to the tides of the seasons of the land, which is, which is pushed by the seasons of the sun. The marriage between the two is what creates the magic. So rather than it be a competition between sun and moon, I focus on the relationship when you bring them together into harmony, when, when they start working together. That's wonderful. That's, that's poetic. <laughs> <laughs> and the I deck really reflects this. So 
we, we deal with the crossroads at the center of the of, of the compass mm -hmm. and we have cards associated with that uh, to, to deal with that issue I added three additional cards oh, wow. so the number of the cards is 81 which is the number of a magic moon square so it's very much a lunar deck oh my goodness yeah um, I also incorporated many of the symbolism that was in the old original tarot bringing some of the mysteries that have been dropped because so many of the tarot, so much of the tarot today represents different versions of the Rider Waite work. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that is a very specific lens of the Golden Dawn, and which is a, a, a magical Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. and, and its symbolism doesn't really communicate a lot to me. But when I look at the old mysteries and pick up the, the themes of what once was in the deck, I find that there's some deep mysteries that shouldn't have been lost. So I've tried to bring those forward as well in, in the deck. It's made it quite controversial in some areas, ah. but um, but it's it's come out really beautifully. The, the coloring and the and the artistry is very good, and the cosmology is so deep. It's when I first got the cosmology came together with the deck, and I did the basic sketches before we fleshed them out into full workings. The second that I really pulled it together, and it was really a work of gnostic transmission. The um, the deck started teaching me. It has been my teacher for the past 15 years. 15 years. The deck has been my teacher for the past 15 years, and, and it is still revealing levels of insight within the deck that I didn't know were there to me, and I'm its creator. Right. So, um, so it's an extremely deep deck. It carries an enormous depth into what is a witch stream of, of, of access, married with the tarot stream in its origin. And that's kind of how I look at it. It's like the tarot and, and the witch, traditional witchcraft streams, having a conversation about what they hold in common and how to look into the depths of each other. And so through this marriage, it's brought a very insightful approach to the tarot, I think. Fantastic. Can you um, tell us the name of the deck? The name of the deck is the Ked Tarot. The Ked Tarot. And where it can be located. Um, well, right now, um, if you're in Europe, then uh, they've got they're carrying it at the Aquarian Bookstore in London. Very cool. And they're carrying it in Salt Lake City at Crohn's Hollow. Mm -hmm. They're carrying it here at the Green Man, and we are actually sending it um, through online sales. Online. So we, so we can actually ship online. Um, and we are talking to some people, but it's, it's not sorted out yet. But there is somebody who's talked to us about distribution, who may be able to get it around into more stores. Excellent. I'm not wanting to go Amazon and, and, and mainstream with it, mm -hmm. because it really is um, it's a very, very special deck. It's, a, it's, it's an initiate deck, and, and I want it to keep it. I want to keep the specialness of it. I want it to remain a living tool of a true initiate. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to become... You know, um, uh, an object for sale. I don't want to make it a mainstream. Movie. I understand that, and and that's that's there's a lot of integrity in that decision on your part. So, if someone listening to this podcast wanted to to purchase it right now, they could go to thegreenmanstore dot com. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And uh, after I get my deck, <laughs> I will be sending people to go get yours. Well, this has been such a, a wonderful and enjoyable and truly enlightening conversation. 
And I appreciate that you took time out of your day to have it with me. You're welcome. So, uh, it's great to see you again. <laughs> great I to miss see you. you down here. I miss you too. Yes, we're friends. He's <laughs> 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 not just a celebrity. He's my friend. <laughs> so um, this wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. This is Forrest from Pagan Gumbo. And uh, we have been having a conversation today at the Green Man Store in North Hollywood, California with Griffin Ked. Thank you. Have a great one.